welcome to the Audit 15 Fund podcast. My goal of this podcast is to bring relevant internal audit topics to the table at least every 15 days. Today, we have an exciting guest, Edwin Dorsey. He's the author of The Bear Cave, a newsletter that explores the dark side of the stock market by exposing bad companies and corporate misconduct. Welcome, Edwin, to the podcast. It's an honor to have you on. Absolutely, John. Thanks so much for having me here. Yes, yes. Looking forward to what internal auditors can learn from you, from some of the techniques that you use, from some of the research that you've done in the past on companies that are not following what they should be following. So very first question is, so you you go out for go out and look for companies that are possibly breaking the law, their financial statements don't represent what, what the financial condition of the company actually is. So very first question here, what is your favorite way for you to find those dubious companies? So John, you're right. Uh, in my newsletter, I need to write about a lot of different public companies that I feel are misleading investors or harming customers. Um, you know, my, my favorite, most common way uh, of finding stuff to write about is getting reader tips. People email me saying to look into stuff, but you know, that, that's just kind of a lucky situation I'm in. You know, another favorite way for me to find a good company to write on that I think, you know, is going to go down in the future or might have potential problems is to track bad board members. And I'll tell you exactly what I do. Whenever I see a busted IPO or busted SPAC deal, something that's fallen like 90% in the six months since it's IPO, uh, I go, I look at all the board members of that company and I say, huh, I wonder what other boards you serve on. And I start playing this like game, this like expanding web where, okay, you have 10 board members on this company. What other boards do they serve on? And if I see a lot of board members on another company that's already fallen a lot, I'm like, what other boards do they serve on? And eventually you'll find a situation where you see a board member who's been on like two SPAC deals or IPOs that fell 90% and they're just on a new, new IPO on the board. And I'm like, I kind of want to bet against you now because... In the public markets, at least in my view, public market winners win and public market losers lose. Like, like attracts like. So that's one of the biggest things I do is just tracking all these board members. I can literally just spend hours. I, I like this tool called Insider Score. I use it a lot to just to really easily see all the boards somebody serves on and all the board members for a particular company. So that's one thing I do. Um, I'm also addicted to Twitter. I think a well-curated Twitter list, if you know where to look, is a great way to come up with ideas. And oftentimes it's just as simple as somebody tweeting something that doesn't seem right or highlighting an executive that left quickly or something like that. You know, I, I, I follow all the consumer review sites really closely. I watch a lot of like YouTube corporate investigations and sometimes things are, problems are exposed on YouTube before they kind of get into the mainstream. Uh, another thing I do in my newsletter is every week I sift through the roughly 300 or so publicly disclosed resignations from major companies, and I'll try to highlight the 10 most notable. For example, if a CFO leaves after nine years to spend more time with his family, there's not really anything crazy about it. But if a CFO leaves after nine months and you've had a lot of turnover in other departments, then that's more eye-popping. And sometimes... I'll see a resignation that seems odd. I'll look and I'll see there's a pattern in resignations. And then 
that's a way for me to like jumpstart an investigation. So, so all of that is kind of tools in my toolkit. Um, but really it's just like, you know, I'm looking at hundreds and hundreds of companies every week and eventually some will pique my interest. Yes. Yes. Excellent. Excellent tips there. Board members, just checking where they're going resignations, just following the, uh, the players in the market where they're going. So really, really good tips there uh, and to internal auditors, follow-up question here, a little more detail than just the people, right? So financial fraud indicators, internal auditors are wanting to prevent financial fraud. Short sellers, on the other hand, they look for financial fraud. So from, from your research, from the work that you do. What are some of the main financial fraud indicators that you look for that internal auditors can learn from? So I'm a little weaker when it comes to the accounting side, John. I'm very strong when it comes to qualitative stuff, but I frankly don't spend as much time looking directly at the finances. Some things that I will do that are kind of adjacent, that, that are kind of unique, is I always look at the revenue recognition policy for a company. And you can look at what peers have. And most of the time, it's kind of standard boilerplate language, but occasionally it won't be, or occasionally it'll read weird. And then I get interested. And then what I do is the SEC has this magnificent, magnificent website a lot of people don't know about called SEC Full Text Search. It allows you to search all SEC filings in the last 22 years for any term or set of terms. And what I'll do is I'll take a company's revenue recognition policy put it in quotes, put it in the SEC full text search tool and see what other companies have that type of revenue recognition policy. And sometimes you'll do it for a company. You'll be like, oh, hundreds of companies use this type of language for their revenue recognition policy. Probably not a big deal. Sometimes you'll do it and you'll, you'll see a very small subset of companies do. And the companies that tend to use this revenue recognition policy language uh, have fallen a lot, or it's a lot of penny stocks or a lot. So th then that kind of is like, huh, why are you using this slightly abnormal language? And the biggest like red flag is if you like, you know, see a policy, you put it in SEC full text search and no company in the last 22 years has ever even used that language in their SEC filing. Like that's really, really, really problematic. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do that all the time, not just for revenue recognition, but for anything I've seen in SEC filing that reads a little weird because it's all legal jargon. It's tough to tell like, oh, is this normal? Is this standard or it's not? That's something I'm doing religiously. The other way, kind of the cheat code for finding potential accounting issues is just reading SEC comment letters. Comment letters are informal correspondence between the SEC and a public company. They're all made public, like after the issue is resolved. And you can just, it's like chorus and upload in, um, in the Edgar search. All you need to do is like type that in and you can see these like informal letters between companies and generally the division of corporate finance at the SEC scrutinizing specific issues. And if, you know, three times in the last five years, the SEC has sent a company a letter asking for more clarity on a specific issue, then that issue should be absolute top of mind, you know, at least for me when I'm looking into something. And you can also glean a lot from a company's response. You know, sometimes they'll have a very good answer. Sometimes it'll be like 2,000 words. And then I'm like, I don't know, this is too long. Or you're pulling something here. Other times it'll be like, 
yeah, you're right. We had a typo. A lot of Chinese companies would like say we have clerical errors or scrivener's errors. And that would always be like the biggest, biggest red flag. And the SEC reaches out to you about something and you're like, yeah, thanks for catching that typo, that clerical error, scrivener's error, whatever. It's like, you know, that's not great. The other thing I do that's really kind of auditor specific, and I, I bet you most auditors know this, is the PCAOB has an auditor search tool where you can go and you you don't just see the auditor, you see, you can see the specific audit partner, the engagement partner responsible for auditing a company. Now, if you're auditing a company, you obviously know it's yourself, but you can also then see who the past engagement partners have been. And I've noticed some people in particular have a very checkered history, or you can click on them and you can see which companies has this person audited. So there's some people especially for U.S. listed Chinese companies who every company they've ever audited has fallen 90% or more. And it's like, well, I want to bet against your future audits. I don't know what's going on, but this doesn't seem too good. So the, those are all like, you know, things I do. And maybe to go kind of full circle here, uh, I, I, I think there's a lot to be gained from executive like turnover. So there's a company called Cantaloupe. They make credit card readers for vending machines. They've had nine different CFOs in the last 10 years, nine different CFOs. It's like, that's not good. That's not good at all. Um, if you see just like people resigning from the audit committee abruptly, that's not good. And for me, I, I like seeing, you know, there was a company I wrote on called The Joint. They were a $2 billion franchisor of chiropractic clinics. The, the chairman of their audit committee served on the board or like as an executive of two other like defunct penny stocks and that's it. And I'm like, that's a screaming red flag. It's okay if you fail every once in a while, but if like your only public company experience is, you know, fail penny stocks, then that's a problem. And then the joint ended up falling like 80% plus and had some accounting issues after that, you know, or if I see a board that has like no public company experience at all, you see this a lot with SPAC deals. I, I always find that kind of, a little odd. The ideal is, you know, you may have one board member leave every year, like in advance with disclosure. And you might have like a board where on average, each board member is serving on two to three other boards of like normal companies that have performed like more or less in line with the market. Um, th that's what I kind of look for. Great, great information there, Edwin. And uh, looking for the patterns, right? That's yeah. kind of like what you're doing in a way. You're looking for the patterns. And on the revenue recognition, great, great information there. That's kind of like the gray area, right? Where there's gray, there's risk, right? So definitely uh, some good tips there. Last question here for you and just try to understand a little bit more of the techniques. A few years ago, you're on the news. You exposed care.com and you did that. It was brilliant. You created a fake uh, a Harvey Weinstein account to expose that they were not doing uh, proper vetting on the background of potential people who were going to be taking care of children. And uh, another example of a short seller technique here, uh, Luckin Coffee, which was a company that got exposed at the Chinese Starbucks, the short seller there recorded over 11,000 hours of store traffic and they got over 25,000 customer receipts. So there are different techniques of how you can expose the company. What are some of your favorite ways of exposing companies? So, so John, I, I like to say a little bit of initiative goes a long, long way. So 
you know, recording 11,000 hours of store traffic, that's extreme. I could never imagine doing that. Props to whoever did that. But it's like, I think you can get a lot of information from just like one hour of like snooping around. So with, with care.com, the issue was this is a pub, was a publicly traded babysitting platform. They claimed to be doing background checks I on all their babysitters. Uh, I saw there was a bunch of lawsuits against them from parents alleging they didn't do their background checks. And I just decided, let me see if I can sign up as Harvey Weinstein and pass their background check as Harvey Weinstein. I think there's no way this is going to work. But, um, you know, it did. And they like gave me like this, like all these badges and said I passed that background check as Harvey Weinstein. And there you go. It's proof they're not doing it. And there's not really like a good excuse uh, to counteract that more recently, I wrote on a company called the beauty health company. They make like a machine called hydrofacial to like make your skin look younger and more youthful. And I just called like the top 20 spas, top 25, like medical spas on their like provider list for the city of Phoenix. And you'd imagine if they, th these are the people on your site that allegedly do your product, you know, all of them will say like, yes, we have it. But instead, like, Half of them either didn't have it or carrying the competitors' products. Like the phone number was disconnected. The business didn't exist. The business had a street address in a different city. It's like, okay, just doing like the smallest amount of work, 25 phone calls, you find some glaring issues. And now I'm not saying there's necessarily fraud, but you look at that and then you look at turnover with the CFO and you look at some like, you know, other internal controls issues you disclose and it paints this mosaic that, hey, maybe there's issues. One of my favorite tools in my toolkit that I don't think people use enough is FOIA. I file like hundreds of FOIA requests every year. Generally what I do, you know, you can go to federal regulators. I typically go to state regulators and file FOIA requests for all consumer complaints filed against a company in the last three years. And you, what that'll do is you can go to a company's like home state AG, do this, depending on the state, you may or may not get records. But if you get records, you might just get one consumer complaint, a consumer file. Maybe you'll get hundreds and hundreds of consumer complaints. And you might think, you know, how is that going to help me with an audit? Like maybe you get people complaining about the products, but you'd be surprised. You see a lot of stuff there that kind of intertwines like financial statements. So something I always look for is, is there any like end of quarter shenanigans? Does, does a person ever say, and you see this sometimes, they're like, yeah, they were going to give me a refund, but they made me wait until April 1st for a refund. And I'm like, oh, I see what you're doing a little. Or they didn't let me cancel, but they only let me cancel my software subscription on January 1st. And I'm like, I see the games. Or they were really pressuring me to sign up with the discount by December 31st. So, you know, that type of stuff I, I always find fascinating. And it's like, huh, I wonder what other games you're playing. You, you just also get a sense for, like, the integrity of a company. Um, like I wrote on planet fitness and it's like, people are, are being billed for like years and years and years without their consent. They're spending like dozens of hours trying to cancel. Um, it's like awful people like generally I, I found like old people tend to like get taken advantage of the most. So like somebody will like, you know, just be charged $20 a month, the frivolous fees for like not having the primary credit card work or just. It's just like, it, it's really, really terrible. And, you know, so that, that's some of the things I look for. We talked about the SEC full text search tool, which is awesome. The PCAOB auditor search tool, you know, looking at SEC comment letters, 
I look at Glassdoor. Now, I, I don't look at the overall score and like read too much into that. I read the all the individual comments, like every single one. Um, and, and and that can sometimes be useful. And sometimes you'll see like one that really stands out as like highlighting a, a problematic issue. Another thing I do is I always sort it by date. And Glassdoor companies will sometimes like give a nudge to employees to post fake like reviews or just rate us highly. Everybody go rate us highly. And, you know, sometimes the fake reviews will trickle in. But if you see 200 like five star reviews on one day, you're like, okay, that's the day HR sent the email telling everyone to leave. Or, or there was a company, Embark Trucking, that went public through a SPAC merger. The day the SPAC, they had like no Glassdoor reviews, or like one or two. The day the SPAC merger was announced, 13 five-star Glassdoor reviews were posted. And then everyone subsequent to that was like negative or neutral. And I'm like, oh, well, you clearly like, you know, wanted to like, I see what you're doing. This isn't genuine. So I look, I look at that. You know, I look at Pacer to read uh, lawsuits against the company, and sometimes it's just fun to read. Sometimes it's more substantive. And I, I read all the consumer review sites. My my two favorite are Site Jabber and Trustpilot. I feel like those are gamed a lot less. And then there's ones that I consider more like fake, like Consumer Affairs or G2 or Better Business is okay. But kind of reading all those, you know, is another thing that I found to be like incredibly useful in building out the mosaic. And finally, just reading a company's policies, a company's cancellation policy, a company's terms of service. No one reads those in full, but I mean, I try to skim them and maybe you see something that like stands out or you didn't realize. So some of this is like really kind of niche stuff people don't know. A lot of it, though, is just me being curious and just trying to learn everything I can. And, you know, I think the best way to find this stuff is to be genuinely curious about it. Yes, yes. You are an auditor at heart, Edwin. <laughs> Naturally curious, at least. Very, very good. Really appreciate. And just clarification for the listeners who, for you, uh, you know, some may be uh, somewhere outside of the U.S., Freedom of Information Act. Great, great information from you, Edwin. For those who want to learn more about you, I know you're very active on Twitter. You have the Barricade newsletter. What's the best way for them just to learn more about you and to engage and read your newsletter? The best thing is to Google the Barricade newsletter and subscribe to that. The second best thing is to Google Edwin Dorsey Twitter or I'm at Stock Jabber on Twitter and follow me there. And the third best thing is to always listen to the Audit 15 podcast. <laughs>